Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you, uh, an opportunity to, uh, to get into your word. And Father, we pray as we do so today that we would be attentive and listening to what it is that you have to say to us, that we would eliminate the distractions that are in our lives and so that we can focus on, uh, on a brand new message that you would have for us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that you would give me your words, nothing more and nothing less this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So where are you from? If I had a dime for every time that that's been asked to me over the last two months, I'd be working for you for free. Maybe it's because a 6'5 guy just doesn't have anywhere to hide, and in a town that knows everybody, the 6'5 guy always stands out, or maybe it's because I always have a different sports team than anybody that it roots for around here on my t-shirt, but I've been asked that a whole lot. What's funny is no one ever assumes that at 30 years old, I just randomly appeared with a wife and two children to come and be a preacher at a church. Most people believe I came from somewhere. All right? They ask me, where did, you, where did you come from? So often in the Bible, we kind of just assume that people show up. All right? We kind of just assume that they just show up, do what God calls them to do, and because we don't know their background and because we can't empathize with them, we just say, wow, they're just so much better than we are. We put them up on this pedestal and say, I wish we could have faith like that. I know that we can't. So we're just going to go with our faith and continue to lift them up. They're so much better than we are, holier than we are. They never had any struggles. They, they never went through anything that we've, we go through. But there are a few times in the Bible where we actually get to see someone basically from birth to finish. We do so with Jesus, and we're going to do so with uh, Moses. And Moses is who we're going to look at over the next few weeks as we take a look at the fact that his life is not actually too unlike our lives. We want to ask the question, what can we learn from Moses? So to basically go to the beginning, at the birth of Moses, we have to understand the context in which Moses comes into being. And we see that Exodus 1, beginning in verse 6, going through verse 22, but it's a long section of Scripture, so we're just going to take bullet points and get us caught up to where we're going to be today. First thing, Joseph in his generation dies. So you know at the end of Genesis, you have Joseph who's basically become the leader of Egypt. He's kind of been appointed that because he has saved them from the drought that came, Pharaoh gives him this position of leadership, and he's basically ruling Egypt, and they die. But remember that he and his family, they all come to Egypt. They live in Egypt. Well, we don't quite know the distance between the two, but we do know that there came a king, verse 8, to whom Joseph meant nothing, and they came to power. Your verse might, instead of saying he meant nothing, that he didn't know Joseph. Either way, whether he didn't care about Joseph or didn't know about Joseph, all he did know was when he looked outside, there were a lot of people who didn't look like him and talk like them that were living in his country. And he was really, really nervous because there were a lot of them. And so he has this fear that if they... If somebody comes and attacks Egypt, if someone comes and tries to overthrow his kingdom, that this people who don't look like them and talk like them and act like them, these people who don't come from there, these Hebrew people would probably join forces with the invading army. They would pile up and they would overthrow Egypt. And so his solution is this. He says, well, we're going to enslave them. 
Verse 11, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And his idea was the more and more that we put uh, more strain and more more, uh, adversity that we give to these people, they will eventually just die out. They'll give up because of how hard the work is. They're just going to mail it in, and we're not going to have to worry about it anymore because they're just going to give up on their own. Funny thing happens, God's people aren't uh, really, uh, the factor isn't whether someone likes them or not. They're still God's people, and so they still grow. They continue to grow, continue and grow. And so the king of Egypt decides, okay, there's got to be something else. Working them to death isn't working, so what, what can we do? Well, let's just skip the working the death part and just go to the death part. And so he essentially gives this edict to some Hebrew midwives, and he says, listen, if there is a, a Hebrew woman who gives birth, if it is a girl, you let that girl live. If it is a boy, you kill it. You kill it. We're going to wipe out, we're going to basically commit genocide. We're going to wipe out this nation through the next generation. We're going to make sure that they don't rise to power. Well, the, the thing that the king of Egypt didn't take into account was that the Hebrew midwives, they loved God, and they knew God, and they feared God, and so they didn't do what he told them to do. And so he calls them into his kingdom, into his office of sorts, and says, why aren't you doing this? And they basically say, well, they're just, uh, they're stronger, and so they, they give births on their own, and before we can get there, there's already babies, and so we can't really do anything about it. And so the king of Egypt, still scared to death about these people who are living in his land, give one more decree. He skips over the Hebrew midwives and just issues a decree to anyone and everyone who listens. In verse 22, it says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but you let every girl live. So this is the atmosphere, this is the context in which Moses is born into. Now I know a lot of you, this is not new information, and you already knew this. Moses is born into a city, or into a nation, in which he does not belong. He is born into a nation that not only is he an outsider, they want him dead. They want him and everyone like him to be wiped out. This is the atmosphere that he's born into. Now, we oftentimes separate heroes of the faith and ourselves, but we have to realize there's a common thread that holds the two of us together, and it's this. You and I live in a world that hates us. You and I live in a world that wants us dead. Maybe not physically, but spiritually a world that wants us dead. Now, we may have made the mistake because we grew up in a country like we have and say, well, this is a Christian nation and, and everything's okay. It, it masks the fact that at the very essence of, of the way things work, this world is infected by sin, which means this world does not like you. This world does not like me. This world does not like anything of God. This world wants to wipe us out. That's what sin does. Sin doesn't like things of God. Sin doesn't like God. And so sin tries to infect everything so that it doesn't meet God. Satan does not want you to have a relationship with God. Satan hates you. But Satan also knows the Bible, and he knows what Revelation says. Revelation says that there's this lake of fire that at the end, when Jesus makes all things new, that Satan is thrown into but he also knows that those who don't know God 
Those who have never accepted Jesus are thrown into the same place. And so while the babies of the Hebrew nation were thrown into the Nile, we, if we don't know Christ, that is our eventual destination. A burning lake of fire. And Satan doesn't want you to go with him because he enjoys your company. He wants you to go with him because the best thing he can do is to keep you from God. The best thing that he can do is to keep you from God so that you don't have that saving relationship, so that you do not experience his grace. And so not too unlike Moses, we live in a world that's hostile to us. We live in a world that is against us. And even though your government or your elected officials may make you feel safe, never forget that this world does not like you. It does not like me. And it wants us to be so tricked into thinking that we're doing okay that we miss the relationship that we're supposed to have with God. So the context in which Moses is born and the context in which we live are eerily similar. And so the solution for Moses' issue is here. Verse 1 in chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So her solution to this is to try and hide Moses, or it doesn't have his name yet, but to try to hide Moses as long as possible with the hope that anybody who's walking by, because remember, the edict from the king is anyone and everyone needs to listen to this. You are in charge of killing these babies. This is, she's trying to hide him. She's trying to protect him. But at three months old, if you have a three-month-old, you know that's pretty hard to do. If you've ever had a three-month-old, you know there comes to a point where hiding is not really an option. And so she has to come up with a way. And so her last-ditch effort is to come and make this basket to put this baby in it and just hope that Someone somewhere finds him and brings him to safety. You see, with the world that hated him and the world that was out to kill him, Moses had someone who protected him and someone who tried to send him to safety. You see, your life and my life, if you're a Christian, it kind of goes like that. There's a world who hates us. There's a world who wants the worst for us. And yet, if you're a Christian... Someone chose to protect you. Someone chose somewhere along the way. Maybe it was when you were young. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a youth minister. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was your wife or your husband. Somewhere along the way, someone said, I don't like what this world has in store for you, and so I'm going to do everything in my power to keep you safe. I'm going to do everything in my power to try to push you onto this course to where you're going to be saved. I'm going to protect you. And maybe they never out and out said that to you, but they did it through the way that they loved you and they cared for you. Notice what Moses' mother does. Moses goes into that body of water the same body of water that all the babies were supposed to be thrown into, except Moses is put in there with a basket. Moses isn't put in there to drown. He's put in there to be watched over. 
In the same way, whoever protected you most likely didn't lock you in the room and isolate you and try to make sure that you never did anything, but they probably said, if you're going to go where everyone else is going, I want to make sure that you're protected along the way. They prayed over you. They intervened at times in your life where they saw that maybe you were starting to rock your basket a little bit when the danger of tipping over, and they stepped in they said, no, no, we need to keep going. Luckily for us, if we are Christians, someone did that for us. Just like Moses' mother, someone protected us. Someone sent us the safety. Exodus continues here. Verse 4, his sister, so that's Moses' sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Well, this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And what is she supposed to do? She's supposed to kill it. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. First of all, ladies, how nice would it be to be paid to watch your baby? This is what happens. Moses has somebody, his mom, who protects him, who sends him out with the hope that one day he would be saved. And then he has a sister who walks along the bank, watching over the baby, making sure that he is safe. He had someone protecting him and someone watching over him. And the same thing's true for us. You had, if you're a Christian, someone protected you. Someone watched over you. Maybe it's the same person. But if your case is like my case, that's quite a few different people. The different areas of your life. It's Adam Harmon who, when he saw a teenager who did the right thing on Sunday but knew he wasn't doing something the rest of the week, pulled him aside and said, you know, I think God's got something bigger and better planned for you. It's Jeff Eaton who, when I said that I wanted to be in ministry and pulled me aside and say, hey, you know that comes with a warning to Satan that you're coming for him, right? Let me help you. Those are two names that pop out to me, but I don't know who the names are for you, but I do know if you're a Christian, someone watched over, someone protected you, someone watched over you. And here's the beautiful correlation between this story and our story. How long did Moses' sister watch over him? Until he was pulled from the water. So you and I, we, we had people watch over us until we came up out of the water too. People who wouldn't give up on us, people who wouldn't quit on us, even when we quit on ourselves, even when we made questionable decisions, people who said, no, 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 I know what the world has in store for you and I'm not willing to let that happen. And so they protected us and they watched over us so that we too would be pulled from that water. And it's a beautiful picture of our baptism and what Moses experiences here. Exodus continues, it says, When the child grew, grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. You see, God always has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. 
And I need to let you know something, that that's present tense. And that's future tense. He has a plan for you. What you have done to your life has been part of God's plan, but if you are breathing, and last time I checked, some of you are sleeping, but you're still breathing, but that means you're still alive. Which means God still has a plan. But you never would have figured out that plan had someone not protected you and watched over you and saw you being pulled out of that water. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have known that God had a plan for you. Look at what God had planned for Moses. Remember the story. What, is, what happens? Pharaoh's daughter goes down. She sees something. She hears a cry. And because she hears the cry, she bends down. She pulls that baby out of the water. And she saves Moses. Fast forward to the end of Exodus 2. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and He remembered His covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Do you see what happens? Pharaoh's daughter hears someone crying. She has compassion, and she pulls Moses out of the water. God hears a nation crying. He has compassion, and He pulls them out of slavery. And who better than to do that than someone who was pulled from the water himself? God has a plan. God has a plan for you. So this morning, there's one part of this challenge of an application for you this morning. This morning, and I, don't, I don't really don't care if you do this right now, Pull out your phone. Some of you have been on Facebook anyway. So go ahead and pull out your phone and send a message to someone who watched over you and someone who protected you and tell them thank you. Do it. Maybe you don't have a phone that does that. We have so much paper we don't know what to do with here in the office. Before you leave today, say, hey, I'd really like to write a letter to that person in my life. And maybe you don't know how to start that. It's kind of an awkward conversation, especially maybe if you haven't talked to them in a little while. So here's just ways that you can say it. You can say, hey, today's sermon in church, we talked about recognizing those who protected us and watched over us in our faith and made me think of you. And then you can just fill in the blank with what they've done for you. Or maybe you just simply start and say, hey, thank you for blank. And here's the thing. I know you're not going to do it when you go home. I, I know you're not. So do it here. Before you leave, if you need a piece of paper, come grab me. We'll get a piece of paper. And you need an address, there's a Google. We can look up just about anything and we can find who that is. But I know that there's some of you who are saying, I really wish I could write this letter, but this, this person who made this impact in my life, they've, they've gone, they've passed. They've already gone to heaven. I still want you to write the letter. I still want you to send the text, and this is why. A couple weeks ago, last time I preached, I, I told about my, my grandfather and my grandmother in Paris, Kentucky. My grandfather served in World War II. He passed away in 2005. My grandfather never talked about the war, ever. Never talked about it. He never mentioned it. He told me one story about how when they went in, they captured this German camp 
they had been fighting for a long time, so they stole their ATVs and they rode them around. Like, that's the only story, that's the only story I ever heard. A couple of months after my grandfather passed away, my grandmother gets something in the mail and says, you do not know me, but I served alongside Paul, and I want you to know that I'm alive because of him. Apparently there was this battle and this war in the war that was going on. He was injured, he fell behind, and the commanding officer said, you have to keep going. But my grandfather willingly went back, picked him up, and drug him along to safety. And he's alive at that point because he went back. Now, does my grandfather know that he sent that letter? Well, maybe in heaven he does. But did my grieving grandmother? Yes, she did. Did a grieving family? Yes, we did. You see, it's something about receiving a letter that tells someone about the faithfulness of their mom, their dad, their grandmother, that may just spark a spiritual thought in their head. Someone who says, I so appreciated the fact that when I was a teenager and no one else would give me a chance, your mom took me to church every Sunday. It's a beautiful picture. You see, Moses had someone who protected him, someone who watched over him, and through that, he found out that God had a plan for him. And so that's application one this morning. Before you leave, send a message, send a text, ask us for paper and write a letter to the people who did that for you. Before I go over to the connection lunch that we're going to have over this, I'm going to do that as well. But there's another part to this, isn't it? There's another part to this story. If you have been protected, if you have been watched over, then that means you need to be protecting and you need to be watching over. You need to be willing to do with someone else what someone was willing to do for you. Because let's be honest, we know that there's a world out there who hates us. And we know that there's a world out there who hates that coworker of yours, that kid in your class, that family member who doesn't know Christ. We know that that's the case. And we cannot as Christians afford to sit idly by and let the world drown those who God has a plan for. We have to be willing to do that. There are people who God has a plan for that will not fulfill their plan until the church comes to love them and take care of them. There's a good chance that you didn't know that God had a plan for you until someone in the church told you that. There's a world out there who's being told so many other things, but it hasn't heard from the church. God has a plan for you and God loves you. And that's where we come in to play. And so we have a challenge this morning. This is a, a five-week series. This is week one, so we've got four more weeks in this. We want to invite every person in this church to invite one person a week to church. One. Just one. How many? One. One said that. Good. One, one person a week. Do you know why one person a week is significant? There's about 200 of us here this morning. If we invite one person a week for the next four weeks, we will have invited 800 people to church by Thanksgiving. 800 people. 
invited to church. Why not? Because the world's going to invite those 800 people to do something else. The world's going to invite those 800 people to just keep swimming until they drown. We, we need to be carrying some baskets. We need to start protecting. We need to start taking care of. And so this morning, we have two challenges. We want to thank those who have made an impact in our lives, and then we want to spread that same impact to the lives of others. So we're taking home this today. Be thankful for those who protected you and watched over you in your spiritual life, and then do the same for somebody else. Let's invite 800 people to church in four weeks. All you have to do is invite four. One a week. You see, here's the truth, is that we've all got to be drawn out of that water. We're either going to be dead to our sins forever, or we're going to be pulled out and be made alive in Christ. And so if you've never made that decision, I'd love to talk to you this morning about what that looks like. I invite you to come forward as we sing this song. But all of us, we have a decision to make this morning. To be the hands and feet of Christ. To support each other and thank each other who have protected us and watched over us. And then to go and make an indelible imprint in this world. There's another invitation this morning. If this is a church home that you want to belong to, a church home that you want to go and help people and protect people and care for people, we invite you to come forward and invite you into our church family here today.